through 17, and it can be found in your pew Bibles on page, I believe, 901. And Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and, the, and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that somebody laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servants does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so, whatever, so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks be to God. Thank you, Dala. Thank you for doing that. No We're going to keep praying for Dala. He's waiting to find out which medical school he's going to. We're praying it's going to be Johns Hopkins or Georgetown, so you stay in the area. And don't go too far. He said, by God's grace. That's right. By God's grace and incredible scores on NCAT and everything else. Thank you. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, it is by your grace that I stand here today with my friends. Lord, you said to us, if we abide in your word, we are truly your disciples, and that we would know the truth, and that the truth would set us free. And so, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come now and, and illuminate, shine bright your word of truth, and that it would, it would do something within us, Lord, that only you can do. That this word of truth would come alive, and Lord, that we would begin to live the life that you call us to live in a new and profound way. And so, God, that we would bear fruit, fruit that would last, that brings glory to you. So I pray, Lord, even now as we turn our attention to you, Lord, that you, you enable us to, to hear from you through these simple words that I've prepared on a page. We pray in your precious name and all God's children said, amen. Here they are in the upper room, Jesus with his closest friends, no longer servants, They'll have the great privilege and title of being apostles one day. And here, here's Jesus and his friends. In the hours preceding his arrest and mock trial, his humiliation, and finally him dying on the cross. These passages in, in John's gospel are known as the, the farewell discourse, the most poignant passage in, in all of the gospels. Here, Jesus answers his, his friends' questions. He prepares them for what's coming. He gives them a, a sober assessment of, of what's ahead. And most of all, he prays. He prays for them. They get to listen to their Redeemer. Pray for them to the Father. In this passage, we learn that a true disciple of Christ abides and bears fruit. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, Jesus says, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I, I almost don't want to exegete or expound on the passage because it's so profound and beautiful as, as it is. I don't even want to say a word. I just want us to, to read it here. Dollar, read it to us and ask the Spirit to move in, in our midst to speak to us. But my aim this morning and, and indeed throughout our fall sermon series is, is to help us to grow as disciples, to grow as Christians, to, to join Jesus in following him on this ultimate adventure that he's invited us to. And so I need to say something. So let's look at the passage. And if you're taking notes, it might be helpful because there's so many words that are repeated and phrases. It might be helpful to no notice this, that the first half of the passage that we read, verses 1 to 8, is the metaphor. The first part, Jesus gives this incredible word picture. The vine, branches, and the, the vine dresser or, or, or gardener. And he, he explains that to them in a, in a way that, that's image-based and powerful and poignant. And then, verses 9 and following, he explains it. 
he, he restates the meaning of the metaphor. And we'll touch on that this morning. We'll dive into it more deeply uh, in our midweek Bible studies uh, with the uh, study that's been prepared, focusing solely on verses 9 to 17. But this morning, I want to look at the whole passage. The metaphor, verses 1 to 8, and then what Jesus has to say. What does it mean? What does this mean? First, the metaphor. Israel is often pictured in the Old Testament as a vine, a vine that produces fruits. And the uh, prophets of old often are calling out to Israel, warning them, hey, uh, Israel, you are not producing fruit like you used to. You, you need to get back on, on track. You are being fruitless. You are drying up. And so there's this warning throughout the Old Testament of the vine not producing, the, the vineyard not producing the crop that the gardener wants to see. And Jesus picks up on this in the last of the I am statements in John's gospel. Seven I am statements. This is the seventh one. Jesus says that Israel has now ceased, ceased to produce fruit. And so he says, he is the true vine, the true Israel that pleases the vine dresser or, or, or the gardener. Now, is there anyone here who has a green thumb? Any gardeners in the, in the room? A few? Two? Three? Okay, I see some more. Anyone here, you, you love to garden? Maybe you love uh, uh, grapevines. We have some wineries here in uh, Maryland, Virginia, certainly plenty out in California. What does every gardener want to see at the end of the season? They want to see fruit. They want to have a crop. Now, I don't know about northern Virginia uh, vineyards, but I know out in Napa County, the vinters, that's someone who produces wine, they, they're just finishing up bringing in the 2015 crop. The, the last of, of the grapes are bringing into the season. I guess there's some strange, exotic winter grapes, but most of the grapes are in and ready to be prepared. Christ is the vine. He's the trunk, and we are the branches that, that carry that fruit, and God the Father is the, the vinter or the vine presser or the gardener. So, so here's the metaphor. We've got the picture, and, and Lee explained it so perfectly well to the children. They could get it too. That as branches, we must be connected to the vine. That the vine is the life source, the, the nutrients, the water, everything good. We are organically connected to the vine. That helps us wrap our brain around a, a theological concept of being in Christ. In Christ is often repeated in the New Testament. To be in Christ is to be connected to the source, that our sin debt is canceled, our relationship with God restored, our eternal salvation sure. And then we have this picture of the gardener walking through his vineyard, and what is he doing? He's checking all the branches to see that they're bearing fruit, and anything that isn't bearing fruit is trimmed, and anything that is completely fruitless is gathered up and thrown away. 
the metaphor is powerful and poignant and the apostles would have gotten it. But what's the explanation? What, what does it mean? Now, Jesus only has a, a, a few last hours with his friends. No more talk in, 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 in symbols or illustrations or, or vague agricultural metaphors. Just tell us what you want us to do, Jesus. And what does he want his disciples to do? He wants them. He commands them. He says it's absolutely essential that they bear fruit. Bearing fruit is necessary for being a disciple of Jesus. Essentially, bearing fruit is becoming like Jesus. Spiritual fruit shows itself in, in the way we live our lives, in a changed character, and, and that never goes out of season. This is a crop that, that keeps being produced and harvested year-round, all the days of our lives, that, that our thoughts uh, are become like his thoughts, that our, our purpose uh, is his purpose. We adopt the plans that he has for us as a church, as individuals, and we follow him. And we remain in him. And that's what it means. It means to become like Jesus. Now listen, bearing fruit is contingent on abiding in Christ. Uh, abiding in Christ. You see this uh, word, uh, it shows up a, a bunch of times in the passage, doesn't it? We must abide, and when we abide, then we bear fruit. Verse 5, we bear much fruit. So what does it mean to abide? Does anyone know what, what abide means? Does anyone know uh, uh, what it means to abide in Christ? Another translation, maybe you have a, a different translation in your lap, uh, a word that you might know a little bit better would be remain, to re remain in Christ. Every Christian is inseparably linked to Christ in all areas of our life. We, we don't just come and, and plug in on Sunday and then unplug and go about our day, that we are always remaining, abiding, connected with Christ. We submit ourselves to his authority over our lives. And that he says here that we depend on him in every way throughout all the days of our life, that his gracious power enables us to keep all that he commands. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me, my word abides in you. The Apostle Paul echoes the same idea in Colossians 3.16 when he writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And the, the children saying the wonderful verse from Psalm 119 of, of hiding God's word in our heart. So uh, abiding in Christ means allowing his word to fill our minds to direct our will, to direct the path of our lives, of all the decisions that we make, and to transform us in the way that we relate to others, in the way that we love. And he has so much here to say about love, to, to love one another as I have loved you. We know that will come in John 13, 35. In other words, our relationship to Christ is intimately connected to what we do with our Bibles. What you do with your Bibles when you're not here at church. 
as Christ's word dwells in us and, and the Spirit fills us, we began to think in a way consistent with the will of God. We began to pray in a way consistent with the word of God. We began to act in a way consistent with the will of God. We began to discover what he means when he promises, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. Because our desires will now have changed into what he desires for us. The other day I had to go Jiffy Lube to get uh, oil changed in the car. Not one, but both cars needed their oil change. I guess they, they recommend, what, every 5,000 miles? I think it was probably closer to 8,000 miles. Probably not a good thing to do that. I went into Jiffy Lube. It was very, very busy that day. Uh, but I noticed the, the man who helped me when I first arrived because his name tag on his uniform was written in Sharpie on a piece of duct tape, Tyrone, in big letters. So I introduced myself to Tyrone. Apparently, he was the new manager of this Jiffy Lube, and they haven't gotten his uh, name replacement yet. It said Jose was the manager. He says, no, my name's Tyrone. It's not Jose, so I've got the, the tape. I thought we had a nice conversation for a few moments. I thought we connected. Like, hey, here's my money. I said, I'll bring my other car in tomorrow. So I go in the next day, and I'm the only car there. Perfect, nice and early. His crew's all getting set up. And here comes Tyrone. And I, just, I, I say, hey, Tyrone. And he looked at me like, do I know you? Like, well, he didn't have his name tag on yet. Like, I guess I'm, I'm kind of forgettable face, I guess. I don't know. I'm the only one standing here. So Tyrone, oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're that guy from yesterday. We start to talk. Different kind of conversation. The day before was about the Redskins and about whatever. In this conversation, he noticed the, the magnet on the back of the car. The magnet says NPC, that, that I'm part of this church. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. And in fact, I'm, I'm one of the pastors at, at Mulesdale. Total change of conversation. Immediately, Tyrone started to open up. And, and I asked him if I could share this this morning. He shared about losing his mom when he was just a teenager and having to look over his, his younger brother. He talked about growing up on the, the hard streets of New York and, and getting into trouble and doing some time. He talked about uh, friends whose lives were snatched and friends that were still incarcerated and how, by God's grace, he said, uh, he's standing here today as a, a manager of a Jiffy Lube in, in Germantown. And as Tyrone shared about his journey about the son that he doesn't get to see very often who still lives in New York, about the, the mother of his children here in Germantown, and they all live under the same roof, even though they're separated, they, they can't afford to have a uh, separate residence. Does anyone know that reality? It's a reality here in Germantown. He was sharing about the goals that he has in his life. And, and as he was talking, he was saying, God is, is giving me opportunity, and I just have to get out there and get it. I have to get out there and claim it. And, and, and as we talked, I, I encouraged him. I, I said, that's, that's amazing. Your amazing story, Tyrone. Can I just encourage you, though, that it's not just up to you, that, that it's, it's by the grace of God working in you, and in your life, it's, it's getting God's word planted 
deep within you and abiding in Christ and trusting in his strength that's not all on you. Uh, we had a very special moment together. 1 John 2.14, it says, Abiding in Christ makes us strong. Strong enough to overcome the devil. It's abiding in Christ. He's the source of power. Go with Jiffy Lube. Would you go there? Look up Tyrone. Okay, so let's review the basics of, of how Christians understand how we grow spiritually. To be a true disciple, we must bear fruit. To bear fruit, we must abide. We must remain connected in Christ. To abide in Christ, we must keep his commandments, his word. We must rely on him. And when we do that, then... What kind of fruit do we bear? Well, the, the Bible is very clear about what kind of fruit, what kind of vintage uh, Jesus is looking for. One great description that characterizes the fruit of the Spirit is in Galatians chapter 5. I bet the kids could sing that one, right? The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love for God. Love for, for one another. Love for your, your neighbor and the stranger around you. The fruit of the Spirit is, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is that what others see in your life? Someone, a neighbor, a colleague, someone that, that, that knows you well, could, could recognize you, pull you out of the crowd. Would they say they see that kind of fruit in your life? If not, it might be because you're not connected to the source. You don't know God. You're not grafted into this true vine that we're talking about. It could also mean that you're living outside of fellowship with Jesus, that you're struggling in how close you are to him. Either way, if that's you, I'm glad that you're here today because you can commit your life to Jesus, or recommit your life to Jesus today, right here. God isn't looking for perfection, but he's asking that these fruit be the primary characteristics of a life that we live to his glory. That the fruit out of our mouths, that, that, that are fruit of praise to God, thanksgiving to God. The, the, the fruit of sharing with, with those in need around us. The, the fruit of serving in the church. Lots of opportunities to serve here. The opportunity to serve your neighbor, to serve wherever God has placed you. The, the fruit of being like Christ, to imitate Christ. What other fruit can you think of? There, there's one fruit, one vintage that when we sit at the Father's table and, and, and this vintage is passed around, it is going to taste so sweet, so lovely. It is the fruit of winning souls for Christ. Well, someone here who's not a believer said, well, what's he talking about, winning souls for Christ? Even those of us here that are Christian might say, gosh, that sounds a little old-fashioned, Pete. In fact, it sounds a little imperial. Uh, I'm 
winning souls for Christ. Well, I would just say it's very biblical. It says it in the Bible. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of righteousness is the tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. The one who is wise saves lives. Yesterday, I was in the most dangerous place in all of Germantown. You know where it is. The parking lot at Wegmans. You take your life into your own hands when you step out of the car there. The only place that's almost as dangerous as that, Marshall, is the parking lot at Costco. But at least there you have, you have some you know, fighting chance. But Wegmans, I'm walking back to the car, and there's a, a mom behind me with a little boy in the, in, the, um, in the seat, and his daughter, probably maybe eight years old, running ahead, and I hear her saying, I see it, I see it. She could see her car. And before I could, she runs past me. And before I could say anything, a car is backing up and nearly ran her over. This would be a much better story. Well, great story if she survived. Much better story if, if I was the one who grabbed her out of harm's way. But I just witnessed it. My jaw was like this. Thankfully, that person stopped the car. As believers in Christ, we believe what we say we do, what the Bible says. And we see someone in grave danger. And there are people, someone even here in this room, in grave danger, still under the judgment of God. And we're not willing to, to open our mouth because we're embarrassed. We talk about that bystander syndrome. The more people that are around the more we, we don't take uh, responsibility, well, someone will, someone will stop that, right? Someone else will get involved. We're all just bystanders. But the Lord says the sweetest fruit is the fruit of us sharing our faith with another and seeing yet another brother or sister come to the table. This is what it means to be a Christian, to be a fruit-bearing disciple. And the words of Jesus just grab me by the collar when he says in Luke 6, 40, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He says that we're to do this. As we bear fruit in these different ways, all the different ways, we not only glorify God and, and we not only prove that we are a true disciple, Jesus says that we also begin to experience the abundant life that he promises to us. You can read about that in John 10.10. 10. Bearing fruit leads to a fulfilled life. It produces blessing and assurance. There are Christians that I know that, that don't feel secure when they come to church. In fact, they feel very insecure when you ask them about their faith. It's not because they don't have perfect theological answers to tough questions. I, I don't. Do you, Marshall? I don't have all the answers. No, the, the insecurity is because some Christians don't know that they're going to heaven. Some Christians don't know that they are in Christ today because they're going through hard times. Some Christians don't know that they're secure in Christ because they don't feel connected to the body of Christ. But bearing fruit, sharing God's love, 
singing God's praises, doing good deeds that glorify God. These are all ways that we bear much fruit. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may what? May be full today. Full today. The reality is, as Christians, we all go through times in our lives and seasons when we don't feel full, where we feel like our ventures are, are fruitless and they're hard because life is not always easy and Jesus never promised following him would be easy. He even said it will be hard. Because we're, we're, we're bound to, to bear fruit, that's what we're called to do when we are in a season in life or in a relationship or a situation where there's, there's no fruit or when we slip into old habits and we commit a sin and we know we're not abiding in Christ, these are some of the hardest times for a Christian. The people around you will say, why are you making such a big deal about this? It's a big deal because you know something is missing. These are often times when the father goes and gets those pruning shears, those pruning, I'm going like this, those little clippers. Do you use some of those, some of our gardeners? Where he comes and, and he, he prunes those little bits in our lives that, that aren't bearing fruit or are just no good and they just need to be cleared away. But sometimes when, when God uses his, his little pruning shears, it hurts. We say, ouch! Why, why are you taking this away from me? Lord, why did you take this dream from me? This promotion from me? This opportunity? Why did you take this away from me? Why, why is, is my body betraying me and now I can't do the kinds of things I want to do? It's all being taken away from me. I need that. If that's you today, the Lord's saying, all you need is me. And I'm liberating you from those things that you do not need. But it smarts, doesn't it? It can hurt. So what confidence do we have? We can experience it here as Jesus is speaking to, to his disciples, his friends. Look at verse 16. He says, it's amazing. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. It's incredible. You did not choose me, I chose you. Now this is near the end. The disciples are saying, well, wait a second, you, you said come follow me and I made a choice to get up and follow you. I left everything to follow you. So what, what gives? Didn't I make that choice long ago? And the answer is yes. That's true. That's you. God bless you. You did choose to follow. But you know what? He chose you first. He chose you and he said to you, to every disciple, I wanted you. And I take full responsibility for you. You agree to follow me, and that's very good, but I know that I claimed you first. 
there's at least a few people in this room who have a ton of responsibility in your life. So everyone looks to you for the answers, looks to you for the resources, looks to you for the help, and you're helping, you're helping, you're responsible for, for everybody. All the weight is on you. If you don't do it, no one else will. If you don't get it done, it won't get done. The project will fail. If you don't step up, the class won't be passed. Whatever it is. The reality is, behind all of that, Jesus says, but I chose you, and I'll be responsible for you. You've been chosen to bear fruit. You've been appointed to bear fruit that will last, that will please God. So, go and do it. Abide in Him. Keep His commandments. Engage in our discipleship process that we've been talking about this fall. Love people. Love your brothers and sisters with the kind of love that we see from Jesus. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. And verse 17, these things I command you, that you will love one another. Let's do that. Friends, let's sing our, our next hymn. Let's just remain seated. Open your bowl.